Amen. And yeah, many of you, maybe, I don't know if you've met her or not. I think she ran out with the kids. But uh, Rachel, who is leading them, she's actually full-time at the church, working in the children's ministry. She's been an incredible blessing. Pastor Mike was up here as our children's pastor. So uh, I'm just blessed to have them. It takes a lot of work to get that many little kids to stand still. (laughs) Not all of them did, but let alone do anything else. Amen? Amen? The Bible says, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. What a blessing to see children being raised in Christian homes and being taught the truth from a very young age. All right, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand because you're going to need one. Amen? Raise your hand. Youth group. Another one of my sons without a Bible. What's up with that? Right over here. I know he needs one. All right. All right, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. I want to tell you that before we get into the text this morning, you know, this is the greatest time in the world to be sharing your faith. Amen? Amen. Wednesday night was awesome. How many of you are here? Raise your hand. Okay. Incredible night. And then I want to let you know that Wednesday morning, Pastor Mike went out to uh, Monta Vista Christian School, and there were 800 teenagers that were there. And I don't know the exact number, but if I had to guess, standing from the back, there were probably close to 200 kids that went forward, including some of the teachers rededicating their lives. So praise God, amen? And my prayer is that those kind of commitments are not a one-time emotional thing, but they're life-changing, because that's what needs to happen. Now, before we look at the text, I did want to say this too. Most of you know, again, Christmas is a great time to share your faith. It's Jesus' birthday, by the way, if you didn't know it. Amen? Amen. And we will be having church on December 25th. Amen? Amen? I was on the internet, they were talking about how these churches canceling service on the 25th. And I'm thinking, on Jesus' birthday, you're not going to church? What's up with that? Amen? But I wanted to just say this. A lot of ways we can reach people at Christmas time, but one of them, I don't know if you knew this, most of you do, but some of you don't, that the candy cane is actually a symbol that points to Jesus. And if you were not aware of that, let me tell you briefly how it came into being. There was a candy maker in Indiana that wanted to make a candy that would be a witness to the cross of Christ, to glorify the Lord. So he incorporated several symbols from his birth, his ministry, and his death into this candy that would be given out at Christmas time. Now, he made it of hard white candy, representing the fact that Jesus Christ is the rock upon which we stand, the hard candy. He made it out of pure white candy, representing the fact that Jesus Christ was without sin, that he's perfect and he's holy. He then made it in the shape of a J for Jesus. And when turned upside down, it's a shepherd's staff, a picture of the fact that he goes after the 90 and 9 to draw us back into himself, but also the shepherds who are watching over the sheep who receive the good news of Jesus' birth. Well, a plain white candy needed something else, again, that would point to the cross, so he put on it a three small red stripes. The small red stripes represent the fact that by his stripes we are healed that Jesus was beaten and bruised for our transgressions, that He took the suffering of our sin upon Himself, and then the large red stripe represents His blood that was shed for us. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but what? The blood of Jesus. So the next time you see someone, you know, at work sucking on a candy cane, just say, do you know what that's behind? You know, and you know what? I've never had anybody, hey, do you know how that came into existence? They always go, no. You want me to tell you? Oh, yeah. Great opportunity to share your faith. Amen? Amen. So be, let's, be, let's be looking for opportunities this Christmas to share Jesus with others. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 9. And just real quickly, the first three chapters of Ephesians, Ephesus or Ephesians is a letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a city that was very godless. It was a city filled with sexual immorality, a city filled with idol worship, a city that was very wealthy and was caught up in its wealth. And he writes this letter to the, this letter to the Christians who are there to encourage them that in the midst of all of this to keep their eyes on God. 
He reminds them first that their riches are not in the things of this world, but their riches are in Christ. If you're here this morning and you're putting your faith in anything you can lose, you're in trouble. We need to put our faith in that which we cannot lose. Amen? God is a faithful God. He will never leave us nor forsake us. The stock market can crash. My house can burn down. I can lose my health, but I've still got Jesus and the promise of eternity. We realize that Jesus is all we need when Jesus is all we have. Amen? And so he lets them know first their riches are in Christ, not in the things of this world. He then reminds them of how they've been brought near through the blood of Christ. They were once separated from God, and now they can have intimate fellowship with God. So the first three chapters of this letter, that's all an epistle is. It's a letter being written. The first three chapters are just Paul telling them how blessed they are. Now the second three chapters, he begins to tell them not how blessed they are, but how they're to respond to those blessings. How they're to respond to the privileges they have in Christ. The first three chapters are what we believe, and the second three chapters are how we are to behave as Christians. How do we respond what Christ has done for us? How do we respond to the cross of Christ? Okay, I believe that Jesus died. Now what do I do? I believe that He rose from the dead. I believe that He is God and made manifest in the flesh. By the way, if you haven't seen Chronicles of Narnia, go see it. Jesus all over that movie. Amen? It was fantastic. I was blessed by it. I saw it yesterday with my family. You know what? You know that, you know that you're a, uh, a soft-hearted guy when I start weeping when the lion raises from the dead. But it's so Jesus, amen? And we need to respond to what Christ has done. And so the second half, he begins to tell them, here's how you respond. As born-again Christians, how should we respond to the grace of God? He's offered us salvation. What do we do? We've been born again. How should we now live different? We should be different than the world. He told them to walk in humility and in unity with other believers. He told them to no longer walk like the world. You guys, we're not to be like the world. We're to be in the world, but not of it. And you know what? Sometimes, I know we got parents and grandparents and people who have never been here before. I want you to know the Lord loves you. And sometimes you listen to something like this and you might think, well, that's kind of radical, you know. Supposed to be different than the world. But you know what? We're supposed to be different than the world. Because Jesus has transformed our lives. We have a different passion, different priorities, a different love, a different perspective than a world that doesn't know God. And that's what God has called us to be. He told him in chapter 4 to walk in newness of life, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that as we move on. Then last week, in the first seven verses of chapter 5, he told him to imitate our Father. To mimic our Father. And I talked about how amazing it is how children so often mimic their parents. Both in good ways and in bad ways. You know, it's amazing how if their parents smoke, they smoke. Parents drink, they drink. You know, if their parents pray, they pray. And so we're to imitate our Father. And as we imitate our Father, our children will imitate us. And he talked about how they were to imitate Him by first walking in love. The word for love there, as we talked about last week, I won't go into it. Grab the tape. The word is agape. It is a selfless love. It's loving someone outside of yourself more than yourself. The Bible says in John 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's a love that gives. And that's the kind of love God has for us. And then secondly, last week, he talked about walking in purity. As Christians, yes, we've been saved by grace. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. We've been born again. We're going to heaven. But guess what? It ought to impact how we now live. Amen? We walk in purity not so God will love us. We're not trying to be really good so somehow we'll be favorable in God's eyes because we can never be good enough. How many of you are sinners? Raise your hand. Your hand's not up. You're lying and you're sinning right now. Amen? So we're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And so he says, okay, by grace you've been saved. Now walk in purity. Walk in holiness. Now why do we do that? We do it in response to God's love. Because is it a no fun bummer mom and dad that keep the kids out of the, off the freeway? Is it a no fun bummer mom and dad that won't let them juggle knives or have 14, you know, Cokes for breakfast, Right? No, it's a parent who loves their children and knows what's best for them. And as we walk in holiness before God, we're simply responding to the fact that we trust that God knows what is best for us. Amen? 
Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. God knows it will bring us harm. And he says, walk in purity. Walk in love. Imitate the Father. Here's how you respond to the fact that you are new creations in Christ. You ought to be different than the world. Now, all that being said, he gave some examples. He talked about fornication. He talked about uncleanness. He talked about covetousness. The word for fornication is pornea, where we get pornography. And he said, you know, adultery and fornication and homosexuality, and those things that the world has accepted today as normal behavior should not be so in the church. Should not be so. Let me ask you a question. Does adultery destroy homes? Does it destroy families? Of course it does. So we should not be shocked when God tells us, don't do that which will destroy your family. Don't do that which will destroy your home, which will bring resentment to your children, which will break that bond between you and your wife. Again, he calls us not to do these things because he loves us and he knows the destruction they will bring. He's a loving God. Not a no-fun bummer God up in heaven with a lightning bolt waiting for you to make a mistake so he can smoke you. That's not our God, amen? He's Abba Father. He's Daddy who loves us and knows what is best for us and desires that we walk in obedience to him out of love for him. So the sins of the flesh he talked about last week, fornication and uncleanness and covetousness, desiring what is not ours. And then he talked about something we all struggle with, sins of the tongue. How many of you ever let your mouth be engaged before your brain does? Raise your hand. Is that not true? And he says, beware of sins of the tongue, filthy, obscene things coming out of your mouth, or foolish talking, things that are unprofitable, or humor that abuses or tears someone else down. And he says, these things should not be so among believers. Again, though prevalent, even acceptable in the world, this type of behavior, it should not be so among those who follow the Lord. So we pick up in verse 8, continuing to look at imitating our Father. We walk in love, we walk in purity, and now this morning we're going to see that God's called us to come out of the darkness, to come out of the world, to be different from the world. And how does He want us to do that? One, to walk as children of light, and then to walk in wisdom. If you're taking notes this morning, coming out of the darkness, walking as children of light, and then walking in wisdom. Alright, so let's begin in verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 5. And he says there, again, this letter continuing to exhort them in behavior. They know who they are in Christ, now how do we behave? Verse 8, for you were once darkness. He says, you were once like those who practice all these things I've warned you against. You were once like the world around you. And he doesn't say you were once in darkness. He says you were darkness. Now that's not a real popular message for the world, is it? You're darkness. I mean, they're not going to like that much. They want to know how wonderful they are. You're great and awesome and wonderful, and we just can't get enough of you. you know? and, and we love to hear that because we're all about ourselves. It's all about me, right? I saw a great bumper sticker yesterday. It said, it's all about me and had me crossed out and had Jesus put in the place. And I said, amen. I, I hung out in the parking lot hoping the guy would show up just so I could. <laughs> he also said, Santa Cruz means Holy Cross. And I thought, amen to that. You know, you hear me say that often. But he says, you were once in darkness. You were once darkness. Sons of disobedience. Spiritually blind. Separated from God. Void of truth. You were presided over. Who is the prince of the power of the air? Who has the realm over darkness? Who's the king of darkness? Satan. Right? He's the prince of darkness, right? He's the one that the world is following after whether they know it or not. And God's desire is that he would, we would deliver it out of that darkness and walk in light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The Bible says in 1 John, God is light and in Him there is no darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in dar- darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son has cleansed us from all sin. Everybody in this room was born spiritually dead. Every one of us. We were born with a sinful nature. You've all, those of you who have kids, you do not have to teach your kids how to sin. Amen? Now I want you to be selfish. Now take that toy and say, mine, mine. Now do that again, right? You didn't have to do that. They do that all on their own, don't they? They're self-centered at birth. Why? Because they're born with a sin nature. And so are you and I. 
We were sinners, born in sin, born in darkness. We were once darkness. And he's telling them this to, again, exhort them now to no longer walk in what they once were. No longer live like the world. No longer be like those who are walking around spiritually blind. But he says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Our eyes have been opened to the truth by the grace of God. We've been enlightened to the truth as we walk as children of light. You know, there's a clear contrast between light and darkness in the Bible, and there really is nothing in between. If you're here, if you're here this morning, maybe you're invited by somebody, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you're here by divine appointment and the Lord loves you. And I'm glad you're here. And I want you to feel welcomed and loved. But if you don't know the Lord... There's still scales over your eyes. Your eyes need to be open to the truth of the cross of Christ. He loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you. The Bible is a love story. It is a love letter from Almighty God to you. And He desires that you would know Him in an intimate and a personal way. And He says to the Christian, you were once in darkness, but now you walk in the light. Before you, you know, when you walk in a dark room, it's dangerous, isn't it? You bump into stuff. I've I tripped down the stairs just the other day in front of my house. It was dark out front. The porch light wasn't on. And you know how you think there's one more step? Not good. I thought, man, I'm leaving that light on, right? And the point is that when we walk in darkness, we have no comprehension. We have no understanding. We don't grasp it. And he said, before you came to know Christ, you walked in darkness. You didn't even understand what life was about. You're trying to fill your life with everything else. If you're here this morning, you don't know God, you can fill it with sex and drugs and alcohol and money and marriage and pursuits and things of this world, and your flesh will never, ever be satisfied. We walk in darkness and we'll never find out the real purpose for life that we were created in the image of God to know Him in an intimate and personal way. And that's God's desire that none should perish, no, not one. Amen? Because He loves us. And He says, you were walking in darkness, but guess what? Now... You are light in the Lord, because that's where the only place that light comes from. It comes from the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, or Satan? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. The Lord dwells within us. And we have nothing in common with the world anymore. Now, that doesn't mean we're self-righteous or holier than thou. Amen? We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. We are just as sinful as any man who ever lived. We're sinners saved by grace. And so we reach out to the lost in a loving and a gracious way, but we are not to imitate the world. We're to imitate the Lord. Amen? We're to follow Him and seek only Him. We're to mimic and imitate our Father, not the world. We're to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. As we were once in darkness, no longer now as we walk in light. Would it make any sense for you, if you were walking in light, and you clearly saw for the first time, to now go back to being led by somebody who can't see, who's spiritually blind? Why would we turn again to the world to lead and guide and direct our lives when our lives have been illuminated to the truth of who Jesus Christ is? He's the mighty counselor. He's the only one we should follow, amen? Amen. He loves us. He knows what is best for us. The world is blind, lost, wandering aimlessly, no grasp of truth or eternity or what life is really all about. And now we are light in the Lord. We have an eternal perspective and we understand what life is all about. You know, I'll tell you what, it breaks my heart to talk to people who just have no grasp on what life is really all about. It breaks my heart. I'll tell you what, when I saw 200 kids going forward at Monta Vista, I was undone. It just brought me to the end of myself. Why? Because I knew, Lord, you've opened their eyes. Lord, you've opened their eyes. And they needed to see you, and they needed to know you. You know, and this morning, as I was praying even for this morning, I know there are some here who are in that same state. May you not leave here without knowing Jesus Christ. May you really have the first Christmas really understanding what it's all about, amen? May you be able to celebrate the birth of not just a man, but your Savior. 
The one who suffered and died that you might have eternal life. You were once darkness, but now you are light of the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So there is a response as Christians. He says in the end of verse 8, walk as children of light. The word for walk there is daily conduct. As Christians, our conduct should be different. Sometimes my kids get upset with me when I tell them, you know, you need to be different. Well, I'm, you know, because I'm a pastor's kid, I have to be. No, because you're a Christian. Amen? And as Christians, we need to be different than the rest of the world. Youth group, you guys should be different than the rest of your campus. You should be on fire for the Lord. And people ought to see Jesus in you. So how should we be different? Look at verse 9. What are some of the fruits or the aspects of somebody who is now walking in light, who's no longer spiritually blind? Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The Bible says by your fruit they shall know you. How do you know somebody's really walking with the Lord? You see it in their actions. Don't tell me you're a Christian, show me you are, God would say. Amen? It's one thing to tell people you're something, and it's another thing to prove it. You know, when I was in school down in Southern California, we had what we called posers. I, lived in, I went to Fountain Valley High School my freshman year before we moved up here. And these guys were the wannabe surfers. And the real surfers couldn't stand them. They were the guys that had surf racks on their car, and they had you know, a surfboard on their car that they had never been on in their life. They bleached their hair. They walked around school. They had all the surfer lingo. They had, lingo. They had the surfer you know, stuff on their notebooks. And they'd never seen the water. Or if they did, they ran out of it quickly, right? And, they're, and they called them posers. That dude's a poser. We know what? We've got Christian posers. We've got people that got the stickers on the back of their car, the Christian fish on the back of their car. They've got a big Bible they carry around with them. But they really don't know God. And we can pose and we can fool men, but we cannot fool God. Amen? And God says, you know what? There will be fruit. There will be a transformed life that will result from coming to know Christ. I'll be a new creation in Him. I'll be born again. And I'll be different than the person I used to be. Romans 6 says, But now, being made free from sin and becoming servants of God, you have fruit unto holiness and to everlasting life. John 15 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, in him will bring forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Without him we can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let's define what some of this is. The, the, you know, nothing grows without light. Except mold, right? Nothing grows without light. We want to grow, we need to walk in the light of the Lord. Amen? In the light of His Word. It says, without Him we can do nothing, but with Him we can, we can do all things through Christ, producing fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And the light is the source of growth. And the source of growth for you and I is the Holy Spirit within us. When does the Holy Spirit come to live in us? At salvation. When you're born again, again, for those of you who are new here, the Holy Spirit is with everybody. They calm their conscience, right? How does the world know there's right or wrong? Holy Spirit is with them. But when you're born again, when you come before Almighty God, you confess you're a sinner and ask Him to be your Savior, He goes from being with you to being in you. Now it's no longer you on the throne, but God's on the throne of your life. And then there's a, something subsequent to that the Bible talks about, for those of you who are Christians, about the Holy Spirit being upon you. Less of me and more of Him flowing out of me and touching the world around me. How do we know someone's saved? The Holy Spirit is living inside of them. How can we grow? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. You can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't. You can't try harder. You can't be better because you're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to blow it. One who is walking as a child of the light is indwelt by the Spirit and will shine forth attributes like Father, like Son. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here's some of the Father's attributes that should be evident in us. The word goodness means love and action. It's one thing to tell someone you love them, and it's another thing to show them. Amen? You know, I love it when my kids tell me they love me, but I'm really blessed when they do something that shows they love me, just because they want to. Just give me a smallest coming across the room and give me a hug. I love that. 
That's love in action. That's what goodness is. It's love in action. It sympathizes with those who are hurting. It assists them. It's always ready to forgive those who offended or injured them. It admonishes others with meekness and gentleness. It's straightforward love in action. Righteousness. This is living in obedience to the law of God. The Bible tells us the highest form of worship is what? It's obedience. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, To obey is better than sacrifice. God doesn't want your money or your, your stuff. or it. He just wants your heart. Amen? He just wants you to say, Lord, my life belongs to you. Lord, you're my father. I give everything I have to you. And I obey you because I trust you. And I know that you know what's best for me. I love you. Parents, again, imagine if your children didn't believe, didn't think what, what you thought was, was best, but just said, you know what, but you're my dad and you love me, so I'll do it anyway. We'd fall out of our chairs. Amen? <laughs> but imagine, that's God's heart as we come to Him and say, Lord, I love you and I trust you. It's active obedience, worship, serving God, right standing before God and ministering to others, righteousness, right standing before God, and truth. Truth as opposed to lying and hypocrisy and exaggeration. The Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Amen? That means there's only one way, God said, to get to heaven, and Jesus is the only way. You can't get to heaven through Buddha. You can't get to heaven through Muhammad. You can't get to heaven through Hare Krishna or Joseph Smith or Mary Baker Eddy or any other religious figure because they're all dead. Amen? They all died and they stayed in the ground and they did not raise from the dead. Jesus proved himself to be God by triumphing over sin and death. And so we follow a risen and a living Savior, not a dead idol or a false God. Amen? And so he is the way and he is the truth. Well, guess what? Who's the father of lies? Satan. So you want to be Christ-like? Tell the truth. You want to be Satan-like? Exaggerate. Amen? Tell a lie. And we've all done it, right? Lying is an epidemic these days. We're to speak the truth in love. So here's the key point. Goodness, righteousness, truth. These are fruits of salvation. But I want you to notice, it's not the source of it. Okay, if I stop lying, then I'll be saved. No. If I, if I start obeying the word of God the best of my ability, then I'll be saved. No. Well, what if I'm good and I have, a, have love and action towards other people, then I'll be saved, right? No. Because your sin must be paid for. Amen? You're still a sinner in need of a Savior. No matter how many good works you do. The sin doesn't go away until Christ comes into your life and pays it for you. Why did Jesus hang on the cross? Because somebody had to pay for your sin. And He was willing to do it. Amen? Verse 10. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. As Christians, our heart ought to be finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. The word they're finding means proving or testing or examining. How do we find out what is acceptable to the Lord? How do we know what's pleasing to God? How do we know? It's in your lap. Amen? You've heard me say it. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie, right? Read this thing. 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, written over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And how is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And people will come and say, I don't know God's will, or I don't know what God wants for my life. And I'll say, how's your devotional time? Well, I don't have time for the Bible. How's your prayer life? Well, I'm not spending much time in prayer. But I want to know God's heart. No, you don't. Because if you did, you'd read it. Amen? Imagine if you went home and a meteorite fell through your ceiling and, and landed in your living room and it said, you know, a note from God with your name on it. Right? And after it cooled down, you know, went over some tongs. How quickly would you open that bad boy up and read it? Note for Dave. From God. Oh, I'm going to get that, right? Guess what? Note for Dave. From God. Amen? And we let it sit and collect dust and watch reruns. Amen? We need to read God's Word so we can know God's heart. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by Word. Word of God. You're struggling in your marriage? Read the Bible. Struggling with your children? Read God's Word. Struggling and knowing what decisions to make in life? They're all in here. This is the teacher's edition, amen? It's got all the answers in it. 
And we just need to open it up and know God's heart and walk in obedience. So how do we find out what's acceptable to the Lord through the study of His Word? You know, the sad thing today that just absolutely breaks my heart is there are so many Christians today who never read their Bible. Or rarely. There are churches today you can go to and nobody brings a Bible with them. They might quote a little bit of a verse here, a little bit of a verse there. But you know what? Here's the truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, not the words of the pastor. It's the Word of God that transforms lives. My opinion's kind of irrelevant. Amen? It's what does the Bible say? Why do I make you take a Bible? So you'll know it's not what I think, but what the Bible says. Amen? Because God's Word transforms lives. Not the words of any man. We don't read our Bibles regularly. We don't see God's Word as the final authority. And then we wonder why we're struggling. Instead of being moved by our emotions and our fleshly desires and the popular culture or ungodly counsel, we should be led by God's Word. You know what? So much of the struggles of life would all go away if we'd stop worrying about what men thought or following the example of men and follow the example of the Lord. He knows what's best for you guys. How many of these counselors died for you? How many of these people, your friends, you know, suffered and died in your place? How many of them were willing to take all of their, your sin upon themselves? How many of them created you? None of them, amen? Yeah, we will turn to those who don't know God instead of turning to the true and living God. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a great earthquake. And when that earthquake came, guess what happened? The veil was torn. There was a veil into the most holy place that only the high priest could go into one day a year on the Day of Atonement. But when Jesus paid the price, the veil was torn, and you and I can enter into the presence of Almighty God anywhere and anytime. Let's take advantage of it. Amen? Amen. We can talk to Him driving down the freeway. What a great and awesome God we serve. Amen? We don't have to be on a kneeling thing and do the thing. You know, we just go talk to Him. I'm so glad. Aren't you? We can talk to Him anywhere and anytime. And you know what happens, guys? When you start living a life set apart unto the Lord, it starts impacting the world around you. Paul's telling people that as Christians, we're new creatures in Christ, and we should live different than the world. Our motive ought to be out of love and gratitude for God because of His grace. We ought to live in holiness not so God loves us, but because God loves us. Amen? He loves you guys. He knows what's best for you. He says in John, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He says in Luke, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? In John 8, Jesus said to them, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You know what? If we walk in the light, we will not only know God's heart for ourselves, but we will reveal it to others. People will see it. You know what? If you're on fire for God, people are going to be convicted sometimes when you're just around. Have you ever noticed people changing how they talk when they're around you? Think it's bad? Be a pastor and watch what happens. You walk into the restaurant, people are talking. They, they get all embarrassed. You're like, I just walked in here. What happened, right? And the point is that when we're on fire for God, we're in love with the Lord, when we make Him the priority of our lives, it impacts the world around us because they see Jesus in us. We become the moon, reflecting the sun. Not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. Amen? And we reflect him and people say, oh, you know, and they'll apologize to you. Oh, sorry, I swore in front of you. I, I'd say to them, it's not me you need to worry about. And the one you need to worry about is always here. Amen? <laughs> He's always there. That conviction's a good thing. Now do something about it. Amen? Now it says in verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. As Christians, we should have nothing to do with the world's sinful behavior. Isn't that a hard thing to do? He says there have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. You know what? Light and dark cannot coexist. Maybe you're smarter than me, and probably you are. But let me say this. i got a one-track mind. I can focus on one thing at a time. And when I'm passionate and focused on God and I listen to worship music in my car and I'm spending the morning with Him in devotions and I'm praying for people that are lost and don't know the Lord, you know what, I'm, very, I'm not very often distracted by the world. But when I put my Bible away and I don't spend time in His Word and I don't spend time in prayer and I don't spend time in fellowship, it's amazing how distracted I get. Light and darkness cannot coexist. You go into a dark room and turn on a light, what happens to the darkness? 
disappears. And the same is true for you and I. Light and darkness cannot coexist. Walking in darkness, they can have no fellowship with God. Matthew 5 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. As born-again Christians walking in light, we are to shine brightly in our everyday conduct as a testimony to the transforming power of God's grace. You know what? For some of us, when people... You go to back to your 10-year reunion and people are blown away at what happened to you. You? You're a Christian? By the way, if they, if they know you now and they're still saying that, that's not good. Amen? told you about a coworker I had. He said to some people he was a Christian, and literally people were falling on the ground laughing. They're laying on the ground, oh, and they're laughing, and he said, come here, did you hear he said he's a Christian? They're all laying on the ground, and they're laughing, I'm looking at the guy, and he's standing there, you know. I'm like, bro, that's a bad testimony, if that's how they respond. When they find out you're, uh, but I am a Christian. Oh, okay, right. That's why you had to be hauled home in a taxi drunk from, you know, from lunch, right? That's why. You know, that kind of thing. Your fruit, by your fruit they shall know you. Amen? And people shouldn't be surprised when we're saved. But you know what is awesome? Every one of us is a testimony to God's grace. Every one of us is a testimony to what God can do in spite of our sinful behavior. Every one of us is a sinner in need of a Savior. Every one of us could do nothing apart from Christ. Every one of us was in desperate need of Him. Every single one of us. We should never be self-righteous. Once I was blind, but now I see. And as one who now sees, I ought to live differently. We should not fellowship with the works of darkness because when you fellowship with darkness, it hides the light. It harms our testimony. It renders us ineffective. It destroys our intimacy with God. But instead, what does he say we should do with darkness or sinful behavior? He says, don't do it, but rather expose it. When you're walking in fellowship with God, it should impact and expose the behavior that's contrary to God's will around you. In John 3, it says, Everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds be reproved. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest. You know what, guys? When you're born again, you have nothing to hide. Amen? The cross of Christ is one of two things for everybody in this room. It's either the place of salvation or the place of judgment. I'm looking forward to judgment day. I'm looking forward to heaven. Christians die well. Close our eyes on earth and open them up in glory. Amen? And when I stand before Almighty God, I'm not going to be quivering at the, the, you know, the prospect of eternal judgment and separation. I'm going to be running into the arms of my Father. Amen? So for everybody, the cross of Christ is either a place of judgment or a place of forgiveness. It all depends on what you've done with the cross. It all depends on what you've done with Christ. Walking as children of light means to live openly before the eyes of God, hiding nothing. As you live a life led by the Spirit in obedience to God's Word, as you walk in purity, your life and your actions will expose darkness that is around you. And again, when people find out you're a believer... It'll even change their behavior. May we be an example to the world. Now let me say this. We're not only to flee from that behavior, but we are to expose it. We're to say that that's wrong. Now that comes across as judgmental sometimes, doesn't it? If you say, no, that's wrong. Well, who are you to be judging me, right? That's the response of the world. And the truth is that the world doesn't like it when its sin is brought out into the light. And the proof is that, of that is seen in why unbelievers feel so uncomfortable at church or even around the Bible. I had a close friend in high school that I really cared about and loved. And if I, started, if I would say Jesus' name, I mean, literally, he would do it like that. I'm like, bro, I'm not setting you on fire. I'm talking to you, right? Well, don't talk to me about that. I don't want to hear it. I'm like, why are you so threatened, man? I just don't want to hear it. Whoa, why? Because when you talk about the Lord, it exposes their need for a Savior. Why does the world want to take prayer out of schools? Why do they want the Bible out of school? Do you know when our country was founded that there was no public funding for a school unless they taught the Bible? Did you know that? And now we've gone to the opposite extreme that we'll, we'll yank your public funding if you do teach the Bible. 
We want to get the Bible out of there. Why? Because it convicts us. Why are people so stirred up because there's a public nativity scene? Right? Oh, there's a nativity scene on public property. Oh! Got a pub. Oh, we're going to... Why? Because it convicts them. Amen? We don't want to cross anywhere. We don't want anything that's going to reveal to us. Not only that, they want you to stop saying the word Christmas. Don't say Christmas. Say happy holidays. It's more politically correct. And it's biblically inaccurate. Amen? It's Jesus' birthday. Amen? Stop saying Christmas. Just say happy Jesus' birthday. That's better. Because that's what it is. Amen? And they're making up new holidays every week. Why? Because what do they want to do? They want to water down the truth. They don't want to be convicted by the truth of the cross of Christ. They don't want to know about the the fact that this baby came, but he was perfect, holy God who lived a sinless, perfect life, who would then suffer and die for their sin, because then they're going to have to make a decision about him. Just don't put it in my field of vision. Take the Ten Commandments down. This cracks me up. Thou shalt not murder. We've got to get that off the wall. How is this bad? Oh, it convicts me. Well, good. If you're a murderer, you ought to be convicted. Amen? But people want to take everything down that brings conviction. Why? Because they want to live in their sin and be comfortable in it. Let me tell you right now, if you don't know God, you're never going to be comfortable in your sin. Ever. Because God loves you enough that He put a need and a desire for Him in every man's heart. And you need Him. And He loves you. Attempt to elevate and minimize conviction by removing those things that will convict us. But we're to expose the truth, not hide it. Verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which were done by them in secret. Not only are we not to fellowship with the works of darkness, but such behavior should not even occupy our speech. The Bible tells us we are to be simple concerning evil. I've had people tell me, well, it's okay to be entertained by this kind of stuff, because it's in the context. You've heard me say that in the last few weeks. There's a movie that came out recently that has 400 F words and you know, nudity and all this stuff. And Christians tell me, yeah, but it's in the context of war. What has that got to do with anything? If they had a movie called Sodom and Gomorrah that was filled with you know, sexual... Well, it's in the context of the movie. You know what, guys? We're to be simple concerning that which is evil. Amen? I don't want that stuff in my mind. We shouldn't be talking about it, entertained by it. So not only should we expose it, but we shouldn't be entertained by it either. How can we be entertained by the very sins Christ died for? How can we spend God... And again, this is not being legalistic. This is just saying because it will bring you harm. When you watch sinful behavior over and over and over again, you know what happens? You get desensitized to it. This is not a big deal anymore. You've seen it a thousand times? Well, it's just life. You talk to Christian teenagers. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. And they think, well, sex outside of marriage is not that big a deal. Why? Because it's on TV 500 times a day, right? But God's Word says something different, amen? God's got an ultimate plan. Let's wait for the one God has for us. Things done by them in secret, under the cover of darkness, seemingly hidden from judgment, but even those things will be brought out into the light. As we know, God's Word tells us that our sin will surely find us out. We might fool men, but we won't fool God. And one day, it'll all be brought into the light. Verse 13. But all, things that are exposed are made, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Even the things done in secret, again, will be made manifest. How many of you would like to have your thought life played on a video screen next Sunday for everybody to write? <laughs> no, I don't. You don't, amen? Oh, no, no, I, the liar's website. We'd all be on it, right? And we don't want that. Oh, don't do that, right? But here's the truth. There's a day coming when everybody's sin will be made manifest. It'll all be made clear when we stand before God on Judgment Day. But here's the good news. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, they're going to open up the book where your sin was recorded and there's nothing there but blank pages. You know why? Because the blood of Christ washed it all away. Amen? Not because, oh, well, Dave, oh, he gave to charity. Let's line off one of the sins. Aren't you glad it doesn't work that way? I couldn't give enough away. How about you? I never get even, right? And yet there's so many out there trying to do enough good works to be favorable in the eyes of, well, if there is a God, you know, I, I do a lot of good stuff. I make baked cookies for the neighbors and 
I mowed that guy's lawn one time, and you know, God, that's going to count for something with God. You're a sinner, amen? And you need Jesus. And so he alone is the one that can restore sinful man back to holy God. And again, it's going to be, everything's going to come to light at some point. You may be hiding it from, from man, but you cannot hide it from God. The Lord said, the word says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, never self-righteous, never holier than thou. But our good works ought to be something that exposes the truth to others. People ought to say, there's something different about you. And then then you can say, it's Jesus. Amen? For some of you, you're the only Jesus some people ever see. You're you're their co-worker and the only Christian they know. Their neighbor and the only Christian they know. And the way you act is the way they believe all Christians are often. That's a lot of pressure, isn't it? May we live a life set apart unto the Lord. May our good works bring glory to our Father. Verse 14, Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Therefore, so in light of the fact that light and darkness cannot coexist, light in the end will expose and judge the unfruitful works of darkness. All of you who are still spiritually dead, walking in darkness, look what he says, wake up. Wake up. Those of you who are walking in darkness, who are spiritually dead, who are still in your sin, wake up. I love you. Wake up. Come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You want to know for the first time what life's really all about? Come to know Christ. Amen? Amen. Come to Him. He loves you so much. Arise from the dead. Be made alive together with Christ. Remember the story of Lazarus and the rich Lazarus? Remember John 11? Jesus is a friend of Jesus, Mary and Martha's brother. He died. And do you remember they sent for Jesus and Jesus had ministry to do, so he got there in their mind a little late. And when he showed up, Lazarus was dead. And they said, Lord, if you'd just come sooner. And you know what? Jesus always comes right on time. Amen? Amen. And when he showed up, what did he say? Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came hopping out in his grave clothes, right? That's what it says. If he had just said, come forth, every dead person would have got up. (laughs) Our Savior's triumphed over sin and death. Amen? Amen. To some of you this morning, he is saying, come forth. Wake up. I love you. I'd rather die than live without you. You are my treasured possession. I want you to be adopted into my family. I want you to be my son, my daughter to know me intimately and personally. I want you to celebrate my birthday this year, not as a, again, a faraway figure, but as your Savior. I want you to celebrate my birthday knowing me this year. Amen? I know there's people in this room that that, that, that works for you this morning. The Lord loves you. You can move from darkness into light in an instant. That's what the Word of God tells us. It's like that. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. It doesn't say there's 27 steps. There's one, amen? Come to Christ and He will transform your life. I'm trying to figure out if I need to keep going or stop. And eight other people going, I got lunch reservations, what's he doing? All right, verse 15. So, coming out of the darkness, we're to walk as children of light, and we're also to walk in wisdom. Look what it says. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We're to walk in wisdom, you guys. As new creations in Christ, our eyes should be wide open. We should have an eternal focus, a sense of urgency for the lost. The word walk circumspectly means to walk looking around. No longer like this when we were dead in our sins, but now wide open and understanding what's going on around us. The word in Greek means to walk with diligence. Because light has been given to you, you're to walk carefully, accurately, diligently, marking your course. You know what, guys? As Christians, our daily conduct ought to be marked out for us. The world has no idea what's coming next. What are you doing? I got no idea, right? But when we walk with the Lord, you know what the Bible says that God plans our steps? And we can walk in the center of His will and in His wisdom. 
in obedience and diligence according to God's will. Not as fools, it says. Fools, those who are careless, without guidance, according to their own will and wisdom. Man often puts his own faith in his own wisdom. He puts his faith in his own intellect. Compared to God, we're all dumb. Amen? He hung the stars in the sky by speaking. We don't get too close to that, amen? We get all excited when we spend $500 billion getting a satellite out there, right? Got pictures from Mars. Ooh, right? And we're all proud of ourselves. Took a team of thousands and billions of dollars. The Lord just said, Mars, there it was, right? And so we need to learn to not trust in our intellect, but turn to the one who put the stars in the sky. Turn to the one who created all things. Walk in the wisdom of knowing him. Then he says this, and we're going to close with this. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know what? The word redeeming the time means buying up the opportunity. In light of all that you have come to know and understand, in light of your knowledge of the Savior, in light of the fact that our life is but a vapor, he says use this time in a way that will impact eternity. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know what? The more you fall in love with the Lord, the more of a burden you're going to have for the lost. Every Christian this side of heaven ought to be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. Amen? Amen? We think that something great has been done when we do something in a humanitarian way. You know, we build someone a house, we give them some food, and that's fine, that's a good thing. But if we don't give them the gospel, we haven't really given them what they need. Because what they really need is Jesus. And as we have that eternal focus, as we were redeeming the time, let me ask you a question. How are you spending the precious moments God's given you on this planet? How are you spending your time? When you wake up in the morning, what are you thinking about? What's the focus of your life? What's the passion of your life? When this time has come and passed, only what you've done for Christ will last. Amen? I don't care how much stuff you accumulate. You've heard me say it many times. I've yet to see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You're not taking it with you. Amen? The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? Nothing else. And yet we're consumed often with building up the very thing that's going to pass away. He said, when I was a youth pastor, you'd say it's a pile of dirt. My pile of dirt's bigger than yours. I'm going to work all night and dig more so my pile's bigger than yours when you wake up tomorrow. You know what I mean? I got gold dirt. You know, am I bro- and we, we pursue things that are so foolish in the light of eternity. I've been with people on their deathbed. I've yet to have anybody say, I wish I'd worked more. I wish I had more stuff. Nobody. You know what I hear a lot? I wish I'd spent more time with my family. And I wish I'd done more for the kingdom of God. How are we spending our time? How are we redeeming the time? The days are evil. What's going on around us is godless. It's time for you and I to make a difference by standing for truth. I'm stopping because I need to. We'll get to the. I want to encourage you to come back next week. Next week we're going to look at, you know, the Bible says to be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Alcohol, as we'll see next week, is the world's substitute for the Holy Spirit. It's, isn't it interesting they call it spirits? Isn't it? You know, because it numbs you to conviction when you ought to be led by conviction. Amen? We're also going to see next week God's plan for marriage, God's plans for families. Powerful stuff. But you know, we're not done here this morning. I know for a fact there's people here that don't know God. And you know what? You may have come here to watch somebody sing a song. But this is a divine appointment. And God loves you so much that He foreordained before the foundation of the world that you'd be here this morning. And I'm going to close with this analogy. If you've been coming here a while, you've heard it, so forgive your pastor, all right? When I got engaged to my wife 22 years ago, or whatever it was, she'll probably correct me when we, get, when we leave. She'll give me the day, the time, the hour, and what, what table we set at. But, but I took her to the Shadowbrook restaurant, and I got down on my knee at the Shadowbrook restaurant, to her surprise, and opened up a little box with a ring and asked her to be my wife. And she said yes. Praise God. And aren't you four glad, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and she said yes. And so when she said yes, I gave her a ring, and she put the ring on her finger, 
And the ring was a constant reminder, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to the world around us that she's my wife, that she's spoken for, that she belongs to me. Now, later we got married, and she came down the aisle, and after we said, I do, she took my name. Her name went from being Lynette Weir to Lynette Johnston. Now, why am I telling you this? Because our Heavenly Father loves you so much that He proposed to you. And He didn't propose to you on His knee at Shadowbrook Restaurant, but He proposed to you by sending His Son, that's why we celebrate Christmas, who came to earth, perfect holy God who took on humanity, lived a perfect, sinless life, and then went to the cross and took all the sins of mankind upon Himself. I proposed to my wife on my knee. He proposed to each one of us just like this. He says, will you be a part of my bride? The Bible tells us that we are the bride of Christ. Amen? Now, when we say yes to His proposal, He gives us something much greater than a ring. He gives us the seal or the down payment on heaven, the person of the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us. So when you're born again and you say yes to His proposal, say, yes, Lord, I want to give my life to you, He says, great, now you're my child, now you're my son, now you're my daughter, and as proof of that, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you right now. That Holy Spirit is a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week reminder, just like my wife's wedding ring, of the transformation within your own heart, and it tells the world around you that you belong to the Lord now. Amen? Now, it's then and only then that we say yes to the proposal and we are filled with the Holy Spirit that we can take His name. It's only then that we become Christians. Amen? You're not a Christian because you were born in America. I've had people tell me, oh, Christian nation, I must be a Christian. No. It's not how it works. Well, I'm a Christian because I do good works. No, you're not. You can only be a Christian if you say yes to this. If you say, yes, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I'll let Jesus pay the price that I could not pay. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. You may have walked in here blind, spiritually dead, not knowing God. You can walk out of here filled with the Spirit of the living God, a new creation in Christ, born again with a promise of heaven, adopted into His family and filled with His Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this universal proposal you've given to all men through the cross of Christ. But Lord, we know that while you offer salvation universally, it must be accepted individually. Lord, I know in this room this morning, there are no doubt many who have not given their life to you. But Lord, by your grace, out of your love for them, by divine appointment, you've brought them here this morning. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that even now you would remove the scales from their eyes, soften their hearts, Lord, that they might respond to the greatest act of love in the history of all mankind. Lord, that you would rather die than live without us. Lord, I ask that even now that, Father, they would see that they are sinners, but Lord, they would realize your great love, your great grace, your great mercy. So with every head bowed, I'm going to ask a simple question. I'm not asking you to join Calvary Chapel. I'm not asking you to become religious, but this is about a relationship. And Jesus said, I love you so much, I'd rather die than live without you. If you're here this morning and you know you're a sinner, and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord, you've never said, Lord, forgive me, Lord, come into my life, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. None of us has the promise of tomorrow. All you need to do, you don't need to join a club, we don't want your money, we don't want anything from you. The Lord wants nothing from you. He only wants to give to you. He wants to give you eternal life. But the Bible again says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. So all I'm going to ask you to do, it's your desire this morning to know for sure that you're going to heaven, to give your life to the Lord. You realize you're a sinner, you want to make Him your Savior. I'm going to ask you to just do something real simple, which is to raise your hand and say, will you pray with me? And you can walk out of here knowing for sure that you're going to heaven. That's your heart. I want you to raise your hand right now. Anybody at all. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? Today's a day of salvation. He loves you guys. He'd rather die than live without you. I know there's others here struggling. He loves you guys. 
Lord, I just pray for these that raise their hand. I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that, and I ask those of you who did, that, and even if you didn't raise your hand, if, you're, if your desire to give your life to the Lord, just pray this silently in your heart after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning, and I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sin. To fill me with your Holy Spirit. To make me a new creation. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. I believe that he died for my sin. I ask you, Lord, to fill me with your Spirit. To lead my every step. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Everybody, let's stand up and let's close the worship song. Amen. Mm-hmm.